Hello everyone, welcome to Inspected Goals. It's the pod that tries to improve our FPL play through a more analytical approach. As you can see, Sam yet again jet-setting in uh, Estonia, I believe it is, with the England team. He's, uh, he's left me to my own devices. It's taken me about three hours to set up the stream. Kindly, I've got two chaps joining me today for the first time, which caused all the hassle. Um, but it was well worth it. So first of all, uh, I've got Simon with me, who is uh, some of you guys might know from Twitter, at analytic underscore footy. Um, is a great account to follow. And we've got uh, Albert Murray as uh, sorry, Albert Murray. Where'd that come from? Albert Edwards uh, at Albert underscore FPL as well. Another guy from Twitter who uh, are heavily into their analytics, of course. That's why we've got them on. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Happy to be here. I've never heard Albert Murray before, though. It makes me sound like some sort of American comedian. He, he is. A, he's a TV guy, Albert Murray. Oh, I can't remember what show it's on. That's what was in my mind. Fluff that up straight away. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm doing well as well thanks how are you doing Luke yeah I'm okay stressed from setting this up but um, we're good I think I'm also stressed just because the amount of injuries in FPL seems to be racking up every minute and um, my team is is threadbare from from when I wildcarded anyway so it's causing me some stress but at the same time I kind of like it because I think we were talking just before the pod it's not been plain sailing but it's been a little bit you know the choices haven't been too tough I would have said so far and maybe that's just self-serving because until this point I haven't really had that many injuries or that that many fires to put out but as soon as the pressure's on it, it starts to feel like proper FPL again and I think you agree don't you Simon? Yeah chaos is when it gets fun. Yeah. Absolutely. Back to the wall FPL. Yeah indeed right um what we'll do if you guys could just sort of introduce yourself a little bit I know some people watching this will already know all about you but just a little bit about a background and stuff and um, and what you sort of try to bring to the the analytical side of FPL that would be great I don't know if we want to start with uh, with you Simon um, and we can bring up something that you've been working on uh, well quite a while now haven't you because I think you did modeling before that and then kind of switched to this uh, yeah so for this don't know me hi Simon um, analytic underscore FPL on Twitter um, you'll get like mostly shit posting with a bit of analytics <laughs> dropped in, I guess. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I started off kind of um, following football analytics like long before I found FPL. Um, so I was kind of like following along with that for maybe like two, three years. I uh, got into FPL through a work league um, and then started like posting on FPL Twitter, like made a new, new Twitter account for it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if they're on the screen. I can't see the screen, but um, they are. when we get... Okay, yeah. Well, that's that's uh, my team ratings model, which I kind of I think I first started that in like 2016, um, and it's like slowly just like added new features, made it a bit better. Um, found a lot of people on like analytics, FPL, Twitter, doing similar stuff, and um, like got stole some ideas off them. Um, and yeah, no, I think they were right. They were pretty shit before, to be honest, but six years ago. But they're they're not too bad now. Yeah, is it is it is it because it gives you something to do? Is that is that the thing for you? Like some way to have a niche or have the fun side of it? it what what's the sort of rationale for deciding to do it? Well, I think um, initially I just wanted to work out who was actually good. Uh, that was like the initial, um, like you you want to know whether your team is actually any good at football was really the motivation. So it was like right. are leads any any good? Um, so I used to run like a championship version when leads were in the championship realized I had no interest in the championship as soon as we got promoted um, <laughs> so that got made defunct and yeah it's basically that and, and now yeah just kind of like wanting to know um, 
like what's going on with teams kind of under the hood um and yeah it's just kind of got got the model built now so yeah it's good good fun to keep updated and just kind of go digging around in the numbers yeah and i suppose it's a good way to remove the bias essentially right or the the reactionary takes of of you know the most recent week um but it's it gives you that overview as i can see i mean it's on the screen there for everyone to see you've got it's sorted by uh, overall at the moment um if you want to just explain a little bit around the numbers uh yeah sure so like the first two columns uh like after the team as uh, like the attack and the defense rating so all the numbers there are, are like the unit is goals uh, so it's like how many goals would you expect that team to score or concede against an average premier league team um like playing in a neutral stadium so stripping out like home or away mm -hmm. advantage um and uh, and then the columns after is like how much the like attack or defense has improved um so like if you see a positive number there it's getting better uh, if you see a negative number it's, it's getting worse since what the model expected at the start of the season um and yeah you're right it's um it's kind of it takes away some of like the last week reaction we takes but also uh, there's a few issues if you just look at like say just an xg table for a season mm -hmm. um like one um you might only have like like we have now like nine games or whatever and that's going to tell you something about the teams um but not everything uh so like what they've done in, in the previous like season should still be feeding into it you can have a bad start to the season and then get better um and then also like how difficult their schedule has been um because you could have a team like brentford for example who've played like a really easy schedule and a team like crystal palace who've had a really difficult schedule and you don't want to like judge them um just based on the like quality of teams that they've played. Yeah, and it's really hard to do that, I think, the results-based. Um, Albert, we'll, we'll get to you and introduce you fully as well. Sorry, the order I'm trying to do this in probably doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> we'll work with it. Is there anything that jumps out to you on this table, mate? Because there's some quite stark, I would say, yeah, differences between what was expected and how, how what, what it's actually come out for. Hello, did we lose him? Can you hear me, Albert? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I just can't see, can't see the table. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah sorry, if you bang bad. yourself on YouTube, <laughs> I don't know if you can do that yeah, separately. Yeah. Then you can do that, or I can send you the slide quickly, and we can cover. Yeah, just send it to me, please. I shall send it, Simon. Like, yeah. do a dance. No, or something, I think I know the table you're talking about. This is the team ratings one, right? I've just, I've just put it in our chat, mate. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I remember seeing that and thinking Newcastle are doing pretty well, which is um, Dresden. And then Tottenham looking a bit off the ball as well. There we go. I've emailed it to you as well, if you if you got it there. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the, the main standout ones are the, the overperformance or how good, I should say, that Newcastle and Arsenal have been. Is it overperformance? Is it not? I, I it's um It's certainly been impressive for those two teams. And I know there was a lot of hype around Newcastle for obvious reasons because they've got a lot of money, they've spent some money. Um, but I think... In my mind, at least, the back end of last season, I felt like they were probably overperforming slightly. Their numbers weren't really that strong, but they came to, seemed to get the results. And therefore, maybe there was a little bit too much hype, and I kind of undervalued them as a result. I think that's probably what this is telling me now. Again, obviously, the small sample caveat, will they start to revert? I'm not sure, but they seem to just be... I mean, those are, are really impressive numbers. I think just on the general XGI as well, if you were to follow that, they're like third or fourth at the moment, I think. Something like Maybe third, actually, just... Um, Arsenal and, uh, and Man City above them, which is just really impressive. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think the the way to read this is that like um, the, the model currently thinks that Newcastle are like the seventh best team uh, with like a reasonable gap to sixth and a reasonable gap to eighth. Um, the fact that they've improved in their rating so much since the start of the season gives you like a hint uh, that maybe the model is like catching up to a jump in their level. Right. Um, we we don't know if that's true, uh, but obviously it will take like a little like bit of time for the model to like slowly get like more and more convinced in that these numbers are real. Um, so the model is saying like yeah, I, like if it could speak, it would be saying like yeah, I would expect them to drop off from like third where they've been playing so far to somewhere like the seventh best team from here on out but but there's a there's a chance uh that the model is like catching up and its belief hasn't like caught up to their new level yet uh but i guess we'll see when we get some more matches no i think the forest one is um interesting in a similar way because obviously they got promoted but you're thinking like have they actually just gotten worse since the start of the season or was the model just um not rating them properly at the start yeah it's, it's always Go on. Go on, like. No, I was just I was just going to say it's quite tough with them as well, isn't it? Because they've essentially changed their entire team and changed the division. Yeah, so yeah. the accuracy level yeah. from the start is probably really hard to gauge. I mean, I don't know because I don't yeah. drive the numbers. And from a modelling point of view as well, like you can do like kind of translations from the championship to the prem, but it's not always going to like work out. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess yeah, it's probably worth like kind of bringing the listeners in on how it yeah. deals with promoted teams. Uh, so like Albert was saying, you can do like a translation from their championship numbers, uh, kind of just based on like how well championship numbers have translated into like promoted teams performance in yeah, the next season. Yeah. So you can the... get estimates saying like on average teams will um, score 40%, 40% fewer goals when they get promoted or something like that. And then you apply that conversion to their previous um, championship stats, right Simon? Yeah, something like that. It's it's slightly more. It's it's just a regression, so it has like a, yeah. a constant part as well. So it kind of uh, it will respond more to like attacking numbers in the championship than it will to defense. So there's like a bit of the model is kind of saying like there's some portion of like this is a promoted team, and there's some portion of like this is how good they were in the championship. Um, the other thing that the ratings do in between seasons is they look at what's happening in like spreads markets uh, to kind of get like. Uh, the bookies view on like how strong the team is and that kind of feeds in into the ratings yeah. uh, for all for all the teams not just for promoted teams yeah no yeah there is a couple of ways you can do the kind of like championship to premier league conversion as well but i'd completely forgotten about the fact they like signed a whole new team of players so that and the championship things make things particularly hard yeah i know, I know what the like the average person i think would say as well is is that whole thing of um like you said there, sometimes it can take a while to catch up, but you almost have to have that in that bed in, right? Because if you make the thing too reactionary, it's just going to be all over the place. If you make it literally respond heavily on last week. So getting that balance right seems pretty tough. Like, is there a methodology behind that? Yeah, so essentially you have an, like an update speed in the model. So uh, like each round of matches, the model will kind of make a prediction of uh, how it thinks the match is going to go. And then you have the actual how the match did go um, in terms of better underlying numbers, but also goals and then penalties are treated separately, but I won't go into the weeds. Um, and if the ex- performance is better than expected, they're going to gain rating. And if it's worse than expected, they're going to lose rating. And you have like a, a speed of like how much the model should shift based on each match. Um, so what you can do is you can essentially like run the model on 
historical data with different update speeds and you see like how quickly should this model update in order to minimize the errors in its prediction. Uh, so like you say, if you update too quickly, you're going to be like bouncing around all, all over the place and like just capturing noise. And if you yeah. update too slowly, then you're not going to see what the actual shifts are. So yeah, there is a balance. Um, yeah. No, yeah, of... my model works in a similar way as well. Instead of these, I'm kind of like updates like Simon, it would just take the team's average XG from like last 20 or 30 games, whatever, but you can put different amounts of weight on the most recent games. So if you're not putting out any, if you're not waiting the most recent game, Sam, like it's more important than the old ones, then you're never going to capture anything like tactics changes or forms. But then on the other end of the spectrum, if you put too much weight on um, most recent games, then you're going to start getting really like volatile predictions and like big changes in team ratings based on one game. So it is about finding that sweet spot, which, you know, treats new data as important, but not as, um, you know, not too important, basically. Yeah. So have you, Simon, have you considered, or maybe you've already done it in the past, then making sort of a fixture ticker off of the back of this? Do you Have you done that like privately for yourself and put that to use? In terms of uh, like how the matches are going? Yeah. So, I mean, here you've obviously got the teams and you've got the strength of each team. So then naturally, I would have thought you could create a fixture ticker off the base of that you know it's the same as fpl ticker with green and red right but obviously not quite as shit as that uh yeah so like it's it's all obviously in order to update the model has to have a prediction for each match uh so it'd just be a case of like putting it in a table um the the predictions each week like do you get um posted by ian fpl underscore strategic oh right there's yeah. like there's a little group of us uh all with models like various maybe like 10 of us or whatever uh and he posts the predictions from all the models uh each week uh so you can see that in, the, in like a table it's got like kiwi me we rogue um like his own and then like a few others as well yeah no i do like stuff like that i've tried to do it on my website a bit where i've um posted the fpl view free predictions as well but i'd love to like extend it further and have you know like kiwi predictions or just like one website with 10 predictions from 10 different models would be pretty cool yeah, yeah it's interesting comparing the different um, model predictions i normally do that if i'm like unsure which players bring in i'll see what like my my model review and then um, what kiwi's model is saying quite interesting yeah i see quite a lot of um, you guys doing that i think certalp does that as well right on his pod yeah, he, uh, yeah. he sort of brings them all together and looks at an average all, all the, all the yeah. sort of top all the, the ones that are popular at least yeah um, i think that's really yeah, we should probably clarify that people already know so like the models I make and like what Simon used to make, that's predicting like um, you know, FPL points, whereas what Sertile does, that's an optimization model. Mm -hmm. So he's taken like, given a set of point predictions, he's trying to find what the best team is given like, the budget constraints. So there's two different types of models there. Well, can get confused. While we're on that, we may as well talk about um, that, Albert, because you've obviously mentioned there that you've made your own, your own model and a book yeah. on how to do so, which <laughs> I think I could. <laughs> I could definitely use because yeah. um, I, I, it generally does interest me. I like I always like like a project. You guys probably yeah. know that I, I spent my time trying to work out the Man City lineup for no apparent reason. I just yeah, decided yeah, to do it one day, and um, I need sort of something to focus on. I don't know if it's my yeah. my particular uh, personality trait. You know, I sit there playing Pokemon Go for like seven hundred hours for no reason whatsoever. Um, so yeah, I always need something to focus on. So maybe that's the next thing. Let me bring up. I've got your Twitter feed there. Um, I've clicked on the wrong slide. There we go. Here we go. That's the one. So yeah, I don't know if you want to talk through it at all, um, Albert. 
Sure. I mean, I'll just give a bit of background about myself. So like Simon, I just used to be into um, like normal football analytics. So on my blog, I'd, I write articles analysing the new Chelsea signings, trying to come up with new metrics to evaluate players. And then I'm not sure if Simon knows this, but I actually met him in 2016. There was this like football stats talk at this bar in Shoreditch and they had Tom Werbel was there who used to work for The Athletic, uh, Sam Gregory, some guy who used to, um, an analyst who used to work with Rafa Benitez and just kept picking him up. Quite interesting. So I used to be quite into the um, like normal football stats and then 2018-19 kind of transitioned into playing FPL. That was my first proper season. But because of my football stats background, the, the way I played was basically gone to FB ref and sort by XG. Um, but yeah, got like finished around 50k in my first season, which is pretty decent. And then on Twitter, I saw Simon and a few other people making models. I thought, you know, that could be quite a fun little project to work on. So started hacking away at that. Initially, my model was just so um, like basic. So it made predictions for about 10 players and I had to go into Excel and manually update data. But I transitioned from that to getting data automatically from understat and then writing my own code to scrape FPREF. And then around this time last year, I um, hosted it on my website. So it's quite a bit of a journey on the model side. And then I was thinking, you know, I've got all this knowledge about FPR models. I might as well do something with it. So that's where the idea to write a book sprung from. So I've been writing the book for about the last year. It talks about the different data you can use to build models with how you can build models in Excel or R or Python, and then the different ways you can build a model, the pros and cons of the different approaches, and finally, like how you actually you know, make sense of the predictions and make sure you don't get drunk on your own model. So that's kind of what the book's about, and it's out on the 24th of October. Nice. So where do we actually go to get it? Like, I'm not trying to just do the whole sales thing, like genuinely. Is it going to be... Yeah, like... it's not... Um, no, good question. It's not available for pre-order yet. It'll go on the day, but I'm selling it on Gumroad. It's an easy place to buy ebooks and other products from. So because it's an ebook, anyone can buy a copy. Nice. Okay. Well, that's really impressive to me because I just anyone who finds the time to do a book, I just, I, I, yeah, I, my hat's off to you basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. I did kind of resonate with what you're saying, Luke, about always trying to have like a project to go for because. I think back in the day, I did kind of enjoy the like the, the blog articles or the football stats, but I think I always was kind of doing it for the sake of being productive. Mm -hmm. And when I saw people doing the FPL, models, I thought like, you know, I'm just going to do that because it looks like pretty fun to do. So I kind of did that. And then the book was a similar thing, but it's quite nice doing the book because previously the projects were all quite self-serving, whereas for this, I was thinking like, I can actually do something which other people will benefit from. So hopefully people find it interesting. Do you actually use the projections from your models then? Because in your own, like I see on your website, and I've got it up on the screen here, you've got the comparison with the review, review, which is you know seen as kind of the market leader, I guess, as as the model. Um, you know, if there yeah, was like yeah. a stark difference, oh. for example, would you lean more towards yours yeah. or theirs, or is that just a dependent oh, on the no. thing? Recently, I've been leaning towards FPL review more. But I think it's just a better model. But in the last year or so, I've been putting in like more time towards the book and less time towards the. Um, the model but i guess initially when it came out like when i first started playing properly i would lean more on my model than review but and i was always saying before it's always good to compare between different models when there's a tiebreaker so yeah. 
I use, um, you know, kind of like my model as a second opinion, say, and then also Kiwi's model. But I would, um, yeah, I know I like my model. I'm happy with it. It could definitely be better, but I would lean towards review being more accurate. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely empathise with you, Albert. There, yeah, I used to have a player model as well, and then as I stopped using it, I stopped maintaining it. I was like, well, what's what's the point now? Yeah, review review has smashed it out of the park. To be fair, hasn't he? Yeah. The whole site, everything, everything the guy does is just is just unbelievable, and it, it has set the standard. But I do like the simplicity of something like this as well. You know, I think it is it does present in a real simple way. This is yeah. really easy to use. Um, yeah, even some of my friends were saying that was actually quite nice. Which is um, when when I started sharing it, which is nice because it's often the sort of thing which can you know make you get ridiculed. But it's good that people actually enjoyed using it. No, we can't. We can't choose it, can we? It's like if I could choose, it would be like the stock market, and I'd be a millionaire. But you know, I picked you know Pokemon Go and crap like that to focus my attention. I need some yeah. guy. Need some guy. Not to yeah. not to compare this to that, but you get what I'm saying. We, we don't get to choose yeah. it, do we? It chooses us almost. Yeah. It seems. Um, okay, no, that's really good. Thanks a lot for that. Um, I think what we'll try to do in this episode is, I mean, well, obviously we've done the introductions and a bit about the analytics and behind you guys. We're just going to try and tackle some of the questions that we put out. And we've had a lot of the questions. Uh, come back in terms of more to do with process and stuff which I'm really happy about because me personally I mean you guys will know I'm I'm trying to learn this side of the game more I mean I've always had it in me to try and avoid bias and reactionary takes like that's always been there but I never really knew um, how to channel it properly and I guess that's what that's what Alex has helped me to do but it, I think it can only improve in that area because we've all got that still there I think and I presume you guys too as do as well to an extent that you try to fight um working through some of these questions these are some of the questions come from the analytics community and some of them come from people who are just brand new to it so um yeah i'll kind of throw them your way and, and see what your guys answers are if that's okay um so first up i think we'll go with ross underscore m he says what is the best way to predict clean sheets um do you do you use uh, the models to do that for you and how so he's talked about clean sheet odds from the bookies adjusted with a margin do you use uh, X clean sheets based on shot level XG data. So, um, quite complicated, I guess, for the average person to understand that. But is there an explanation as to how you predict clean sheets? Because I would say instinctively that's tricky because the, yeah. it, you know, it's all to, a clean sheet is something almost designed for FPL. I know it's a real thing in football, how many clean sheets, but that's where the points come from, right? Which is really hard to, to take. You often get these people say, um, you know, Man City's data is fantastic, but they'll ship one goal to the one chance they have because they're so pushed up the pitch, and they'll concede it in the last minute, and therefore the clean sheet goes. But you know, they've got 0.04 xg, and they're after the clean sheet rather than the the data. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say there? It's quite a hard thing to model clean sheets. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. No, I can give the answer because obviously, you know, I've got a few ideas about it, and Simon can chime in. But generally, the way like bookies and most like stats people estimate number of goals scored or conceded in football is with something called the Poisson distribution. So this comes from um, like stats and it's a distribution you use to model like the number of events which happened in a fixed time period, i.e. the number of goals scored in a football match. So um, as we're talking about goals conceded, you kind of wanted to come up with an estimate before like how good a team's defence is and then you can plug that into across some distribution to get the um to get an estimate of how likely it is a team will concede zero goals and that's where you get clean sheet probabilities so when you see like big accounts like fpl salar or other like clean sheet probabilities about on twitter that's the like method behind them 
and that's how the bookies will do it as well. I would okay. say like if you're using an estimate straight from the bookies, it's probably going to be like more accurate than what you can predict. But on the other hand, it's it's not as fun as coming up with something by yourself and you also like don't know how that's being calculated, so you don't know that it's going to be like um, wildly inaccurate or right. But interesting to see to hear your thoughts, Simon. Uh, yeah, pretty much what I was going to say. Um, I guess the only thing that I would say is kind of interesting if you want to model it yourself and, you, and you'll like notice this is that it's, it's not linear to the number of goals conceded. It's like the closer you get to zero, your probability of a clean sheet like doesn't rise uh, like the same for each like point one of a goal less. Um, of and so, so like that's just a feature of like press on. So um, like your clean sheet percentage is going to be like um, almost harder to predict than say uh, like an attacking return from a player because like uh, a point one difference in a in a in a like a goals conceded for a single match can have like a large impact on on your clean sheet uh, like more so than for an attacker because that just scales linearly like how many goals they score. I'm with you. Yeah, and yeah. I can't remember the exact details, but I might I have seen something online where it's like when you use a plus on distribution to estimate like goal scored and conceded, it's um it doesn't get like it's not very good with the nil nils or the one nils and the lowest scoring of the game. So there is some sort of correction you can do which might be what you're talking about. Uh yeah, that's kind of on top of it. If you do, but I was just talking about like a basic press on, but what you're what you're saying is also right, yeah. I think I can't remember whether it over or underestimates nil nils. Um but it's basically down to like game state, um, and so like how a team plays is like in relation to like how many like go- like goals, whether they're behind or drawing or like ahead in the match. Um, so it doesn't quite hit the nil nils like on the nose, but I think it's like generally good enough for like the average model builder. I mean, for FPL purposes, I generally just use the odds. Um, but yeah, as if you want the fun of like building yourself, like I was said. Yeah, no, I get that. So, but in terms of the bookies' odds, obviously, I mean, I don't bet at all. But maybe in my youth, I did a little bit, and obviously, the odds. I understand that they're they're pretty damn good at. I mean, they, the old cliche: if you don't see a poor bookie. Um, in terms of the margin, I think what he's saying there is is how much they've marked it up or down, depending on how many bets they are actually getting on that particular thing. Is that right? So it can be influenced in the market rather than the actual what it thinks will happen. Um, so the margin is is not so much on like how many bets they're getting. Um, like the ways that bookies make money is they basically make the probabilities add up to over a hundred percent, so that they're guaranteed uh, money no matter like no matter what outcome they get. With you, then they'll they'll adjust their prices based on the bets that are coming in. Um, basically, so they can like try and be in the same position no matter what happens in the in the real world. Um, but uh, so yeah, it will like shift depending on which bets are coming in but that's why the the market is such an efficient predictor because like most of the money coming in is pretty smart even if most of the punters aren't because more money comes from like um like larger bets come from like smarter syndicates especially on um like some like on exchanges or on like pinnacle or whatever um and like the other bookies will like shift their prices to reflect like the overall market expectations right um so it's because it shifts in response to people's expectations that they, they become a better predictor than a model because they like take in all of the information say like you've got a defender out or like the, someone's star striker is injured or whatever 
mm-hmm. that's going to affect it versus just like a, a model expectation of how good a team is in general. That's oh, really interesting. So I, I think what you guys are saying though in general is like for the average person, if you were to go onto a bookie website, look at the clean sheet percentage for that game, it's a fairly decent representation, um, you know, probably better than you could do yourself and it's, 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 it's useful. <laughs> Yeah, it'll get like the order right. Uh, you'll need to just like knock it down for the fact that it adds up to over 100%. Yeah, yeah, I could be wrong. I've not actually used Bookie State that much. It just seemed a bit um, kind of like unsustainable because you can probably easily get the estimates for like the next week. But if you were to use it to build your model, then it's hard to um, get accurate Bookie course, prediction yeah. for like two, three, four weeks in advance. Whereas if you're doing your own team ratings, you can, you know, predict clean sheet for the next right, like right. Game you want. obviously it won't be accurate because you know the, you know games will be played and then defense will get better or worse but like generally when you're building your own model the more other sources you rely on like the more likely it is your model's going to break or like you don't understand it so yeah yeah. yeah yeah for sure i think um what you have like this way i try and do for the team ratings in between seasons is you can infer like team like bookies team strength um, yeah. from their like um, like match predictions and like end of season like points predictions and things and goals predictions things like that, um, and then you can apply your like model formulas like looking at what the bookies think of the teams uh, yeah. to look to look forward more than one week. But yeah, you're right. Uh, it is tricky for more than one week for sure. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah, even. There's an interesting debate for building a model like how much do you kind of do it yourself, but you might not get it as good or. Like how much do you just take in other data but then you like don't know how it works or it could just break any time yeah for sure okay lovely guys we'll move on to uh nick wright i think he's got um he's got an analytical background hasn't he i'm pretty sure he has i think he might be in one of our chats um he's asked a couple of quite a few questions here which i like so i've taken a few of them and i think one of them is is quite popular in the community or i see quite a lot um or at least a, a common misconception and it's uh, he asked why managers who use the same model um, as their primary data source would end up with significantly different teams. Um, yeah, have you got any reason why that would happen? I'll go to you first, Albert. Um, I'm guessing it means kind of like so you get the models of predict predictions, but then say on FPL review, it'll give you your suggested moves. But mm-hmm. when you go on that, it normally gives you quite a few different suggested moves, and then these moves, there might not be that much difference in predicted points between them. So once you've got a, like a short list of moves, it's quite easy. It's quite easy to like pick something different to someone else. Then also because you've got your short list, you start applying your own opinion and seeing like what fits better for my team. So that's when you're going to get um, different teams based on the same models. That answers the question. Yeah, but. I think again we mentioned it briefly before that how much you try to then put your individual spin on it um yeah. and therefore presumably your own biases and thoughts can end up then presumably end up being a negative a negative side because that's in a way what we're trying to escape with the models at least I, I, that's the mindset yeah definitely yeah. yeah it's tough it's just like i guess you could just go with the top and um, like suggest a transfer each week but mm. it does feel well, sometimes it appears to be counterintuitive, I guess. And also, if it depends. Yeah, no, I definitely had it before. I think, like, I don't just want to go with that because I don't want to go with, like, the top one suggested by the model. But then, like, a couple of weeks later, I think, like, oh, yeah, that was actually the best move. 
Yeah, exactly that. Um, I mean, I had it. I had it this week yeah. where it told me to get Cucurella and leave Saka in, and yeah. <laughs> I took Saka out. <laughs> he gets fifteen points, yeah. but c'est la vie. Um yeah. yeah, Simon. I mean, that's a common thing, isn't it, on Twitter that you see that we've seen it. That I think it's been a hot topic like the last couple of weeks that. You know, if you're copying someone or a content creator, or you know, it it's just as bad to go on FPL review and just copy the top move and and the, the you know the fight back as well. I don't think anyone's got exactly the same team. I think they're all going to be fairly similar. But I don't think anyone's got the exact team. So um, everyone is putting their individual spin on this stuff, I guess, uh, and comes from a, a different standpoint as well um, in terms of the team that they actually enter for that week is probably going to be different in the first place. It's not like we all pick the exact eleven from the beginning. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you've got anything to add. Yeah, it's it's one of my biggest bugbears. This like all analytics people do is just copy a model. Um, it's just it's just not true. Um, like there's a, there's a couple of things like um, like all the predictions are conditional on like an expected minutes input, um, and like that's yeah, even in things like FPL review, that's basically input by humans. Uh, they use like hive mind predictions which is like how people are adjusting it mm-hmm. like during the week kind of like weighted to the best predictors and then like fpl research and like review themselves just like go through and like make manual adjustments based on like what they think um there's also things like um who's taking penalties uh, like sometimes you have uncertainty over who the penalty taker is mm-hmm. it's gonna like shift um like projections quite a lot based on based on that because it's just like one variable of like who's getting the penalties um and so, like, th- there's still quite a lot of, like, thinking needed. Um, and you also then have, like, uh, ways that you can analyze, like, how the EV, like, it, it sh- might change in the future because, like, the the estimates that you're getting in one week are not going to be the same as the estimates the next week. And you can kind of, like, you can model that and look forward and go, like, okay, given the uncertainty in the X minutes and the in the EV, you can end up with the different paths. There's still quite a lot of thinking, uh, like, needed as a, like... Yeah analytically focused manager it's just the thing which um like analytics people do is they just like focus on a really small number of things we don't really worry about like oh like is Salah like dead um it's it's <laughs> literally it's, it's it's more like is Salah gonna play um mm. and is so-and-so gonna play or is like they're gonna get 70 minutes they're gonna get 75 like and and you kind of you just focus all your attention on a different set of problems um rather than doing no thinking at all yeah. Yeah, it's... yeah. The models are just so useful. Just highlighting like the top five or like ten players to focus on. A bit different to what you talk about there, Simon. But you don't have to kind of into each player with the model. With the model might say like you know here are the best like you know two or three midfielders or like here are the best two or three suggested transfers, and then you can focus on that instead of having to like consider everything. It limits your like your space of options or whatever, but it just makes life so much easier. Yeah, for me, I think, um, and I don't know how much it's actually factored into it, but it's stuff like, um, I'll give you an example. So after the blank in 12, I think personally Saka and Foden look pretty pretty appealing to get straight into your teams or look to try and get into them. Um, my exact money is in a situation where if one of those was to rise, um, I might not be able to get them. So even though I may fancy, say, Saka versus Southampton, I think it is in 13, is that right? And uh, Foden's got Man City. Um, I probably would prefer Saka off the bat. But then I think, well, 
I'll have to go Foden, not that it seems like a massive disparity between those guys first, and factor him into my planning simply because there's a chance he might go up and therefore I have to adjust what the model is telling me in terms of what to bring in one week because it's telling me to bring Foden in, say, game week 15, which is more than fine. I think that's probably when the fixtures looks the best to do so. So it's that kind of thing that I'm doing, and I don't know whether I'm doing that right by factoring that in or not because I don't, I don't even know if review takes into account the price changes or not. I'm going to have to ask him, to be honest. No, the, the solvers always kind of like uh, give you a solution based on current prices. Right. Um, so like modeling future price changes is, um, I think startups like tried to do a little bit of it this year, but yeah, it's not easy. Um, and like you say, yeah, it's there's still quite a lot of like unknown variables, like how much is a free transfer where in order mm-hmm. to like roll it versus making it uh, like how much more should you care about the next game week than like eight game weeks down the line. Um, and like, all, how how much should you care about leaving money in the bank to stay flexible? Uh, like, should you go early to like chase price changes? There's all these like, like other aspects to the game, um, which like sit outside of uh, predicting like how many goals and assists a player is going to score against a particular team uh, based on the number of minutes they play. Interesting. Wrong. Yeah, wrong. Yeah, I think it's why never really a lot of yeah we can try your connection seems to be a bit dodgy mate I don't know if there's anything you can do about it but it's like breaking in and out but I don't know you seeing that as well Simon yeah same for me yeah I don't know if there is if there's not then there's not much we can do about it but it's just to let you know if the missus is on Netflix or something then you know what to do Uh, Rugu says as Foden moved clubs did I say something stupid there I meant he plays Brighton if I said Man City I think that's what I did um I'm going to come with another question from Nick Wright, and I quite like this one because I wasn't sure myself, actually. With XG, XA and XGC showed to be the most predictive stats of future performance, I'm I'm not going to question that personally. I don't think any of you guys question that either. Um, Do any any other underlying stats matter for FPL? Do you have an opinion on that either way? We'll start with you, Albert. Um, yeah, I, I'd go and say like once you've got the XG expected assists and expected goals conceded, nothing else matters because a lot of the stuff you see is like chances created, shots, shots on targets. So that's just um, already factored into the XG. I guess what I would say is you want to have kind of want to build stuff off non-penalty XG, and then you can kind of look at penalties separately. So I'd say non-pen XG is a bit more important normal xg but yeah i'd say like nothing else matters apart from those do you agree simon uh yeah pretty much um i think there's there's maybe like a couple of scenarios when you want to get like a bit more context um so let's say you're looking at like defenders uh it may be useful information to know that they're like getting lots of shots from set pieces rather than like um just the xg because you might end up with like one huge chance which is like skewing it a bit but they're not really a target from set pieces uh but they're pretty much edge cases where you're looking for a little bit more context in in general i would say um once you have the expected numbers then most other stuff is going to be over complicating it well that's Uh, you just that's where my question is right It's, it's around the shot volume that's exactly it and you touched on it there um because presumably, obviously, the more shots you have, the more XG you're going to generate. I get that in general. Um, 
but it's that old thing that I see sometimes of maybe you add one chance at 0.80 or you add, I've not done the maths here at all, but you get loads of shots with a lot less XG. Which one is more preferable? I guess it's that kind of thing that I'm looking at. And if you can think of those players through through history, you know, like Vardy and stuff that have been touted as being clinical or there's others, Aubameyang maybe had it once upon a time, many players like that, where they don't get the volume of chances, but they seem to always convert. And then you've got other players, maybe the Raheem Sterlings. I'm just using... Um, common misconceptions I guess of these players that you know people seem to see them as guys who get loads and loads of chances but then they generally sort of mess them up or they're not able to finish them have you got a preference as to which way and does the shot volume actually factor in outside of the XG in any way at all or not I don't know if I framed that question in the right way uh, yeah I think there's like a couple of things going on in that question so I think um, the kind of clinical or not debate tends to be um, like goals versus xg rather than like shot volume and, and kind of like chance quality mm. um and, and i would only really use it for defenders i wouldn't i wouldn't use it very much i think um if you're getting a decent volume of shots i if you're a striker and you're getting like a couple every week and you're looking at a decent sample then like the xg per shot is like is going to give you reasonable information if you're a defender and you, and you may be getting like under one shot a game and you're trying to look at like um say so choosing between like two defenders from the same team and you want to get the one with like more attacking output there where you have a really small number of shots like um especially because they come from set pieces as well and like uh it, it's not so much the like positioning that picking up uh like on the field that's allowing them to like get great chances uh you have like a bit of like blind luck of like how the how the ball falls and stuff like there one or two big chances can skew it a bit more um so I'd go looking for a bit more context, uh, but in in general, I wouldn't be like preferring like high shot volume over low shot volume necessarily for attackers. Okay, yeah, not that makes sense. Um, should we move on to the next question? We've got F FPL uh, Acumen who says, "How much weight do you put in dips in form? So both in XG and XG under performance affecting player output and expected minutes." So. What's he saying there? Let's try and sum that up. So, yeah, I guess just general XG, the XG's dropped or the XG's remain the same, but then obviously the actual um, finishing has, has dipped essentially or he's, he's missing those chances. He's still actually getting the XG, but he's not able to match it. Um, yeah, how much weight do you put in both of those those scenarios, I guess? Yeah, I guess, on the, sorry, on the first side, you've kind of got the normal, like, you know, form or XG teams, like, as I before, it depends how much weight you want to put on recent games. But generally, I try and go kind of like a medium weight on recent games. But I found that it's almost like Goldilocks thing. If you put too little weight on recent games or too much, it's not as good as just putting a bit. So it's hard to quantify, but I'd say I put around like kind of average weight on recent games. And then in terms of like finishing skill, I, I guess you could estimate finishing skill kind of like, you know, live and like, as when new data comes in, but I kind of just do it at the start of the season. But Simon might have a, a better answer for that. Um, no, I kind of broadly agree. I think, um, yeah, kind of like sensing a theme here of like, what you really want to have is you want to have like a constantly updating process about your beliefs. Uh, yeah. So it's like, I thought I thought this before, I get a bit more information and that's going to cause me to like change my beliefs uh, like by some amount. In general, what I'd say is like, if, when you look at like what actually minimizes like errors in your prediction, like people update their beliefs way too quickly if they like don't have a like robust process around this. Um, and so something like um, 
like a, a change in the underlying data, you want to update like a bit quicker than the change in finishing, just because you know there's more signal in it. Uh, so yeah. they should be going. They should be going at different speeds. The other thing that I would look for is like, um, if I saw like a big step change in like XG, I'd then probably like prompt me to go and have a look and see like, okay, like has this player's role changed? Like were they yeah. playing mm -hmm. left wing before and now they're playing left back, or like were they playing like as a ten and now they're playing like as a six? Um, and then like that would obviously give you like reason to to like look and think there may have been a discrete change if their role on the pitch has changed. Right. Um, and also maybe but, a, like a creative player got injured, something like that, in the team. Would that affect yeah, it Yeah, maybe. Much or not? Maybe. I mean, uh, I, it, it tends to be that like, um, like team, team like overall like output like changes less than you think based on like one or two players being injured or not. Right. Um, just based on like looking at odds and like looking at like spells and teams have been in and out. Um, I think like Michael Cayley did some like research on this like years ago trying to quantify it. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the effects are like smaller than you would like intuitively think. Uh, but yeah, possibly, um, possibly like some, some gap and it's, it's going to be really hard to like get an accurate, um, like it's going to be all, all individual cases as well. Right. Uh, that's, that's the thing on there, I suppose. Because yeah, that, that's something you see yeah. a lot, like not just in the community, but I'm talking like if you just watch football, right? The commentators straight away, oh, they're missing this player today, so that's why they weren't able to do X, Y, Z. It's just like an easy go-to, and I don't know, it's just because it's right in front of their face, and it's it's just an easy answer. Yeah. But after... yeah, you just want an easy reason to say like why they were bad, and like I guess that's not yeah. I've never, I don't know, if there was research behind it by Katie and by people like that saying it's not that important. That's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it still has some importance, like, yeah. uh, but it's like it's overrated when, yeah. like, like, yeah. like with up, like with updating quickly. Um, yeah. Like your your intuition is like not quite tuned correctly. Yeah. Um, I think with the updating and stuff, it's also interesting because when you're building a model, you're trying to apply the same approach to all teams, but then, you, as we said, you want to give um, three more recent games as more important. But then you play the same tactics, the same formation every week. And then in that case, you don't actually want to wait for new games that much. So then you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum where you're giving it too much weight. So it's um it's a tricky balancing act. Yeah, this this is situations where I think it's like very helpful to like lean on odds pretty heavily. Um because yeah, yeah. when you when you have like these kind of like subtle, complicated, like interacting like bits of new information, like new role, maybe player missing, uh, like new manager or whatever, uh, like taking a market expectation is, is probably going to be like a good unbiased estimator for you. Nice. I mean, yeah. I, like... uh, the odds I think Crystal Palace are like a reasonable example of this, I guess. We wouldn't say much in their teams changed, um, but they seem to go and buy your team ratings as well. So I'm dipped a little bit. I know the fixtures have been tough and stuff, but it's adjusted for that. Um, it doesn't, you know, outside Gallagher, I can't think of anything that's even changed in the Palace team, particularly. Um, and yeah, the, the dip's not been much. And I guess what you're going to tell me is because the sample size isn't big enough, right? But um, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about where, uh, and I guess what Acumen's looking at is how much value would you put in that? There doesn't seem to be a reason that we can instinctively find that that's, that's affecting it, yet the numbers are down. So is that something we should expect to continue with them or should it revert back? It, it seems like an impossible question to answer to me, but maybe there is an answer. 
Yeah, I, th I think I got them pretty flat on the the team ratings, like minus point zero two. I like I would just treat that basically as zero. Yeah. Um, okay. Like you're gonna have a little bit of like bouncing yeah, around. Um, I wouldn't very much into that. No, and that well, that, but, that makes me feel good because it's like I can, I know we're always looking for the reasons, as we just said, as to why something might happen. But when you can't even think of a reason, <laughs> it, 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 you know, it's good that therefore the data doesn't particularly show that there is one as well. Yeah, but you, I mean, you've also got like a lot of things changing. Uh, so like players are getting older, or lots of other teams in the league have like bought and sold players. So like the overall strength of the league is changing. Um, right, of course. Like yeah. say like. Gallagher's gone. They've brought in a couple of players. So, like, especially in between seasons, like, you you have all of these things kind of like um, shifting. It doesn't have to be like you find like one discrete thing. It could be like one player like played like towards the top of their ability all all season last year, and they like won't be able to play like that for five years in a row. But they just had a really good season. Like that happens as well. Right, and then what? Uh, um, opposition coaches, I suppose. If they, but I mean, Palace pretty much, as far as I can tell, play in a very similar way nearly every match. And there's some managers out there that tweak their style a lot. So maybe in that scenario, they can be found out, so to speak. Because I mean, that's the job of the other other teams, right? To try and work out the other teams and how to play them. So if you're playing the same way broadly, um, surely that has to be a negative over a period of time. Yeah, possibly. I mean, Pep's played the same way for years, and it's just very, very hard to <laughs> to, to to play against. So, like, yeah, knowledge is definitely um, part of it. Uh, if if you can like figure it out, um, then yeah. And it could also be that like uh, like the the styles that match up well against it have changed because other teams have changed their coaches. So like the overall style of the league is like shifted against you. Uh, like there can be a million things going on. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's like the team equivalent of Iron Robin. You know he's going to cut in on his left foot, but can you yeah. do anything about it? Yeah, just hope he gets injured because that's about yeah. your only hope. Yeah, no. Um, okay, no, that that all makes sense. I think in general for his question though, personally anyway, in terms in terms of XG and XG underperformance was the, the original question. For me, I think. Um, the dip in XG numbers over a sustained period would be more a worry than the XG underperformance. Do you guys agree with that? That it's more likely that that would eventually revert back because it's essentially saying he suddenly turned into a poor finisher. I'm not sure that that's... I mean, I suppose that is a thing out there, but I think that would yeah. be less likely to, to maintain at a lower level, right? It would bring itself back. Yeah, like dipping yeah. dip actual XG isn't like... It's more worrying if it's just like a dip in underperformance, like the model... Depends how it works, but generally for the team ratings, it won't like care as much about it. Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. That's that's the vibe I was on. Um, we've got a great question from FPL underscore Jan, and um, I appreciate that some people may not know what this actually means. So uh, he says at the end of the season, massive data rank one or XG rank one, and he's referring to FPL review here and the grading it gives for different things. Then, I mean, maybe it's best one of you guys explain it rather than me try and put a cobbled effort. Um, what's the massive data rank mean then, Simon? Uh, so, yeah, this question is kind of getting at, like, um, the massive data rank is um, how well uh, the review model thought your team was going to do before a ball was kicked. Mm -hmm. um, and then the XG rank is, like, how well your team would have done if, like, what happened on the pitch like turned into points at expected rates. So it's like um, one of them is like pre-game pre, pre -game week predictions and one of them is like 
Yeah. Uh, Reaction. What actually, what's actually happened on the pitch? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, did um, you bring someone in on a whim and he magically has got eight XG in the game and it might've been a bad yeah. decision beforehand, but afterwards in hindsight, well, that was a good choice. You obviously, maybe you saw something, maybe you got lucky, but therefore you've got a high rank as a result of that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and the, the other thing worth mentioning here is like uh, minutes. So like uh, the MD rank is like based on the model's expectation of minutes. And obviously the XG is based on the minutes they actually got. Right. Um, so to actually try and answer this question, I think what I would try and do if when I'm looking between them is I'd be like, okay, so the the XG rank number one uh, person, like where are they getting their like advantage from? Is it the fact that they've just had a load of like penalty takers who have got like penalties at way above expected rates? Is it that they have got an edge on the minutes uh, and they've been predicting minutes better than the model? Um, and so on. And I try and like decompose it like that because I think some of them are better indicators of skill than others. Like I don't think getting loads of like penalty calls going away yeah. is particularly a skill. I do think the minutes is much more likely to be more of a skill. Um, but it's yeah. in in general you have like uh, more noise in the XG rank than the MD. But obviously you have like XG is is it like independent of the model? It's like what has actually happened. Uh, I'd probably go with the MDF I had to pick, but I'd try and decompose it. Okay, Albert, any opinion? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a tough one. I'd probably lean more towards like the the XG one because you're kind of, I guess, in my case, you're already probably trying to play with like good process anyway, and then like the gains you get if you come up top in XG is because you might have, you know, you know, outguessed the model on the uh, on the minutes or like you know, some other area where the model got it wrong. So, I guess for like a one season, you could go for like XG. But I guess it's weird because you, you're not trying to like maximize the XG one per se, because then you could be just getting in um, random players each week, hoping that they suddenly bang, which obviously isn't a good approach. So I guess it's a tough one. But yeah, I guess you want to play with the right product and then hope. Yeah, and there's obviously going to be so that the XG rank. So, sorry, it's because of the the lag. I keep it. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, it, it's because yeah, of. Um, yeah, I think as well there's a large element of luck there as well right there's more luck certainly in the XG one yeah. because you could you could have Salah go off injured after one minute or something yeah. stupid couldn't you and um, yeah. I think yeah. it's, to play for match day rank would be great but then to actually what would you prefer to receive or prefer yeah. to get XG think, rank one but it's not something you could yeah. target necessarily well maybe a few seasons like over kept port about three seasons you might want to have the best and D rank but say if it was just one one season, you might hope to um, just get the best XG rank, and then that'll you know, make it more likely you get a really good finish. Yeah, yeah. I think in in terms of the better player, I think probably if you gave me like five seasons added up, like the XG rank is probably a better predictor than the MD rank. Um, yeah. Just because a lot of like the the noise in XG rank is going to like balance itself out over those five years. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, and and then the the things which like could be signal of you like out predicting the model um are going to show up more uh like the long the bigger sample is but i think over, over one season there's probably enough like just noise in the xg rank that i'd if i had to bet on like one of them to finish higher in the next season for example yeah i'd probably, like bet on the md guy so so if you had someone who was over let's say 10 seasons got an extremely high xg1 rank um, xg1 was really an xg rank or got you know close to one um, over 10 seasons which I don't even think that would necessarily be possible that would be noise to you that that guy is extremely good at this game and essentially outperforming what, what seems possible 
yeah then i'd be like hey there's there's something going on here that they're right. doing um because it's, it's, a, it's a it's a big enough sample that you're like okay and then and then again you can like look at it like are they getting more minutes than the model predicted are they actually just picking up on like goal scoring rates better yeah. um and like what is it they're doing and you could like learn from that i think on a similar on a similar tangent like the, the person who wins fpl every year is like their previous records or like future records is not always as great mm. so i guess you could say like you know you might get the best xg rank one season but then like tail off next season yeah and you'd, you'd expect as we you know we expect xg to broadly match um actual output that any, people who finish yeah. in say the top 100 would probably end up with a decent xg rank there's going to yeah, be some there's going to be some noise in there, right? You're yeah. going to have a, you can have a few people where it's not even yeah. close or whatever. But I think broadly speaking, if you looked at the top hundred, um, they'd have a probably you know a pretty high average, I would say. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I'll say it now before I forget as well. I think a lot of like non-stats people think you have to like you know find the best differentials and try to like outpredict XG to like have the best finishes. But in reality, you just got to like make good decisions each week. I try and get a good match day rank and then get a bit of luck on top of that and then that will give you a like a really good finish if that makes sense yeah absolutely um okay guys i, I think we'll move on to some more specific questions for this week because it is a, a a crunch week um i'm conscious we've been going an hour as well uh so i've got a few sort of general vibes that i've caught from twitter you know what people are talking about and just cobbled a bit bits together but feel free to chip in with any of your own dilemmas or, or situations but the main one or one of the main ones certainly is salah um, you know, people are asking whether we should have him or not. I think for some people, the conversation has changed off the back of the hat trick in your in Europe. Um, and maybe this would be a different conversation for some people now. And I guess that's what people are struggling with, right? Um, you know, f- for me, I was always looking to bring Salah in if I could this week. Um, not this week, sorry, next week to cover twelve as the captain. I'm not going to lie and say there wasn't doubts in my mind, and I was thinking, well, maybe Trossard is a is an alternative. Um, so, just general thoughts around Salah and whether you think he is the option to go to. I, I know it's been mudded a bit with this whole, you know, the injuries and the positions and everything else. But do you think it's a it is the right choice to basically try and go Salah before a ball is kicked? Yes. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. I literally knew it. Yeah. yeah. And you... and la- and, la- and last night shouldn't change it. Yeah, yeah. That's the bit for I mean, me. I don't, I don't think last night changes it at all for me, but I don't know whether it should change it a bit. Right. Cause... Well, as we were saying earlier, it's just like, too, like, you don't want to react too much to just one game's worth of data. So, like, I was looking at his um, like, season averages on FB Rep earlier as well. Like, yeah, I think what he's putting up now, it's one of his, like, you know, worst seasons at Liverpool, but that's still, like, pretty good, good levels. So, I think we still get him in for game week 12. Yeah, how much do you buy into this whole tactical thing then? Because people are saying, oh, we came on and he played up front um, against Rangers and therefore that's why he scored his three or whatever. I'm not going to lie and say that I wouldn't prefer it if he was in a more uh, advanced position in general. Um, But I'm not sure it would even matter necessarily if he is back on the right or is up front as long as he's doing the things he's done. I mean, he's played on the right for five years and he's been more than fine, right? So I don't really get that. Yeah, there's there's a couple of things. It's like the the system that Liverpool are playing right now, the kind of like, you call it a 4-3-1, you call it 4-4-2 or 4-2-4, depending on how you want to like dress it up. Um, It's slightly different to the like 4-3-3 he's been playing in in, in the previous years. 
do I think it matters? I mean, yeah, like the role on the pitch matters. Do we know if he's going to play on the right or up front? No. Is City probably going to tell us much about what's going to happen against Forest? Also, probably not. Um, just because like City is such an outlier game mm. uh, tactically that you're probably not going to be able to like um, like infer much from it. Um, I like on like what Albert said. Like uh, I just think the narrative is kind of like absolutely ridiculous around Salah. Uh, like the numbers are down a little bit on last year, but the same as his 2021 season, year before last, yeah. got 230 points uh, in that FPL season. Yeah. And what's happened to Salah is he's scoring at 60% of his XG when he's normally like a plus 10% finisher. And that's, that doesn't last. Like, gets one penalty in eight games and he scores at like roughly his finishing level. He's got like four and a half goals, four or five goals. And like, no one's saying anything. Um, so it's just... Um, the the, narr- the narrative just like goes into overdrive whenever anyone like runs hot or runs cold, yeah. and it's nonsense. Yeah, true. I think uh, linking back to the question earlier about stats which aren't useful, I think it can be easy to read too much into heat maps for one game as well. So that might seem to partly be driving the anti-Salah narrative, as in people see one heat map where he's been on the right a bit too much and then they think it's not good but as we're saying it's just one game even from watching the game from my perspective I see him in the game all the time drifting into the centre I I see it quite a lot it feels like that's almost been ignored I I mean the general performance level of Liverpool hasn't been what we've expected that I you know granted I, I, I get that I totally get that. You know, some people will say, given his age, you know, players will eventually drop off. Do you think there's anything in that at all? Like, there's possible that there's signal there. I suppose we have to be open to the the fact that it could be right. I just I don't necessarily see that myself. Yeah, but dropping off like from what he, from like unreal levels to just really really good, like he's still worth having in the team. Like I talk about it in my book as well. Like sometimes you just kind of got to use your common sense, and he's playing more like Forest soon, so that seems like quite. a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I don't know what For me, what's more likely, regardless of what's gone on in the past, that Salah takes to the pitch um, and um, does what Salah's done for a very, very long time, or that Salah blanks. And the fact that he's blanked five or six times before that doesn't change it to me. To me, I, I see it kind of like the black and red at a casino thing, right? It doesn't mean it's become black six times in a row. It's going to be black the next one. In fact, I'd say the odds are more weighted the other way because we know that Salah's data is very good and he's always been very good at doing so. So if anything, it's saying he should be scoring. Um, it's just not happened. And it's only a matter of time. That's the way I look at it. And I don't understand why people don't see it that way. They, they, they literally see like he's not getting the points as far as I can tell. I kind of get the argument a little bit around he costs a hell of a lot of money. And, yeah. you know, if you're not going to armband him and you've got Haaland and, you you know, you're set on, you're just going to captain Haaland, I kind of get the argument around that. Um, but I, I kind of also then throw back, well, we just seem to have shit tons of, of money this year compared and the players are just relatively cheap. There doesn't seem to be a strong enough argument yeah. to me to just bin him. Well, this, this, again, I think is where models are really useful, right? Because you can look at the teams where you get Salah and you can look at what else you would do with the money. And you, because you're putting numbers on these things, you can actually, like, compare them properly. Instead of having to go like, oh, well, he's expensive and like a bit of this and like yeah. maybe maybe these two players will do this. You can just quantify it and you can go, okay, well, like given the best evidence that we have, I think the team with Salah is worth the money or the team without Salah and spreading the money is better. So, yeah, happy days. And if, you're, if you've got something like an optimizer and you try a different kind of like 
parameterizations of that, and then Salah's always coming out as in the team. It seems like you know, it seems like pretty good evidence that you could have Salah in the team. But if it was kind of a bit more like, oh, sometimes he's in it, sometimes he's not, or he's not in it that often, then it's more of a decision. But when someone's like consistently in the um, kind of like top teams or like top um, five predicted players, it's kind of a sign you should go with them. Yeah, I think the analytics guys in general, I mean, I can't speak for all of them, and a lot of teams dropped Salah recently, but that's more to do with the fact that the fixtures dictated it rather than just the general yeah. performance. I think most of us had a plan to yeah. either get him back, or even if you don't necessarily, it's the fact that we will get to wildcard in 16, you know, so it's not like a massive issue to, like you say, maybe go for one where you've spread the cash around. It, it may not be too impacted, so you can maybe get away with it. Um, that's the that's the vibe I got from from it as well. Um, yeah, so we're all sadder in basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I am. I think so. I don't think the hat trick. I'd like to say I don't think the hat trick's changed my mind. Maybe it has. I mean, I have to be open to the fact that it has. I was sort of umming and ahhing whether I should do it. Maybe I should go Sun. But again, I I I point to the fact that Sun is very similar in this scenario. Right, everyone was saying the same thing about Sun. Bam, he scores. You know, a hat trick. Then he scored two the other night. I, mean, I come back to it. it was more likely that Sun was gonna turn this around and revert to what he was doing or than it was the other way around for me regardless of how he looked on the pitch and for me it's just a matter of time like yeah that's all I wanted to say on the subject <laughs> so we're all Salah in I think that's right unanimous yeah good well blame us when it goes wrong but um, it was still the right decision before a ball was kicked right that's what this is all about hey uh, it, <laughs> I, meant, I, <laughs> I mentioned Sun there and I put him on there is he still a viable pick um, I mean, he's home to Everton this week. Do you think he is? Forget the alternative. Actually, do you think he is a, an option to pick from this point? I think um, it's it's hard to forget the alternatives, right? Because mm. you're going to have like Holland, right? And yeah, and then you're either going to have um, like Salah or Son uh, or Kane or like the three medium mm. and like pick two. And so because he's kind of in that bracket. Um, like I don't really think Son really was ever a viable pick, uh, just because Salah's Salah's yeah. better and like, well I had Kane on the wild card. Yeah, if you're going with the three premiums as well, you can go Kane and then you've got kind of like good midfielders in the eight million pounds range. But if you flip it and you take Son, there's not as many good forwards to choose from. Yeah. So it's more a game theory decision than anything else. Son as an individual is still a great pick. It's just when you compare him to the alternatives and the way that we have to structure our teams. It's hard to find a place for him. That's pretty much the vibe. I mean, I suppose is there an argument? Say you haven't got Salah in your team, like I've got De Bruyne. You know, is is the value of the free of the transfer, which we touched on before, worth to go to Sun for this week versus Everton, and then to maybe move him on to Salah next week, or is that too much of an investment that you're going down a narrow path there and you're going to end up affecting you negatively? I'd probably say no, especially given kind of the state of the defenders. and like how the injuries are stacking up in most teams. Um, like if you are at a point of the season, let's say in the first six weeks where like people were considering like burning transfers every week uh, and you've got like two frees and you've got mm. no idea what to do with them, then like maybe. Um, with the current state of play, um, probably not. Probably free transfers are too valuable. Yeah, I think when you look at model predictions as well, you come to realise like how kind of condensed a lot of the players are and like, most of the values of making transfers just comes from um, like swapping out an injured player or getting someone in with a double right. game or just get that extra fixture. That's kind of what I found over the last few years. I don't know what do you agree, Simon. Yeah, plus like big fixture swings as well. Yeah, yeah, big fixture 
No, I, I get that. It's, I suppose the argument, again, from just someone on the outside maybe looking in would say, we've only got until game week 16. You know, I don't want to waste my transfer, you know, transferring out Nico Williams for Dunk because I think I could get Sun in this week. He could hit 16 points. It pays for itself. It was the right move. And I can, un- I, you know, I kind of get that. But at the same time, like you said, if the most of the value comes from a condensed player where Sun's not too dissimilar for some of the other options and then, you know, moving out someone who is definitely getting zero or very close to zero for someone who is likely to get a certain a certain points range over this, even if it's four or five weeks, that's probably going to work out. I suppose when it comes down to one week, you know, literally, let's say we were wild carding next week, the move's clearly just to bring Sun in, right? Or something it was, as long as he was right near the top of the projections. But even if you start to stretch that out a little way, suddenly it makes more sense to have um, a viable team and a, a viable squad. Yeah, I think uh, what people generally like struggle with, I think, if you're not kind of like uh, playing with numbers a lot, uh, like doesn't come intuitively to to humans, is like thinking probabilistically. Like it's possible that Sun scores you 16 points, hmm. uh, and it like pays for itself. It's also possible that you take out KDB for Sun, uh, and like KDB gets 10 and Sun blanks, and you're eight points down. Um, and then in a worse so, position. Yeah. So the question isn't really like what like could happen. It's like okay, if you take all the things that can happen. Like how likely is each one to happen, and therefore, like, what's the kind of overall value? Um, so it's definitely possible. Like, sh- shit can always blow up in your face. Mm. Uh, like that's just FPL, uh, but it doesn't mean that it was like the most likely to thing to happen when you're assessing it. Like before you make the decision. Yeah, and another thing I've been thinking about recently, like the models might disagree on, like based on the circumstances, but you kind of want to make the transfers and give yourself like. The best chance when working out will give yourself like the maximum number of games then to work out. So in that case, you can like transferring someone with like a run of good like four or five fixtures instead of saying like, "Oh, I swap it to this guy for one fixture and then swap him out for someone else in the next one." Because yeah, you might have that really good one fixture, but then it is also one fixture and you could you know end up blanking. And as we were saying earlier, it's for small samples, like it's quite volatile and you know you could end up with the blank and then you lost the transfer. So yeah, no, it's something I thought about just making transfers and giving them like, you know, a good few games to work out. So as so as boring as it might be essentially to to fix a problem in your team when it's you know, we're thinking, oh I can just reset it in sixty weeks, it still probably is the play as long as it, you know, obviously requires it, rather than go for the Hail Mary. I think that's the, the general approach then. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. On the whole, yeah. Although yeah. like if if the value is there for a Hail Mary and like you've got yeah. a strong enough bench, then like I'm not opposed to it. Like, um, yeah. I guess like 80, I don't know, 75 percent of the time, whatever the models are going to say, like, don't go for the yeah, for Hail Mary. But as long as the numbers are there, right, Simon, that's all that matters. Yeah. If the numbers say it's there, then the numbers say it's there. Fine, I, yeah. I respect that. Um, I've, I've thrown a couple of my own questions written right now. Um, one of them was Jesus or Saka. Now, I don't mean for now as much as I'd love to have them both for leads. Sorry, Simon. Um, after 12 the way my particular team is set up I could probably get one or the other um, if you had to choose right now I'm just going to put you on the spot which one would you pick um, I haven't already thought about it probably probably Saka nice on penalties yeah um, I, I think that might just I'm not thought about it. that pens might just outweigh the like lack of good striker options apart from Jesus but He's 0.2 cheaper than Jesus, and he's a midfielder, yeah. so obviously he gets more points. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think um, 
Jesus's number underlying numbers are better, but you'd expect that. He's always had very good high numbers and he's obviously playing right up front. But I guess it's the game theory thing as well, I assume, where you know how many good strikers are those midfielders. But I think that's a tough decision. I mean, ideally, I think I'd, I'd like both from, from that point to the end of the season, the way they're playing, but I don't see how it's possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think... models can help you decide. <laughs> there is that. Uh, I don't think we're that hard up for strikers, though, uh, now Luis Diaz is out. Because, like... At least one of like Jota and Darwin should have like pretty decent minutes and like good projections, uh, kind of in the like a little bit more expensive than Jesus, but not much. Um, so you can easily put like a Haaland, one of them, and then like keep Metro, um, and like that that front line kind of works. Um, I don't think we're like really scraping the barrel if we like go down the Saka route mm. rather than Jesus one. I'll be honest, the Liverpool forwards really. They excite me in terms of, I mean, they're all differentials for a start. Not that that necessarily matters, but it's nice to have, um, you know, effective ownership favour you if you get in a player like that. They've got great games. It's just the whole fact that there's so many of them and I don't know who's going to play and the minutes worry me, but I don't know whether I'm being silly there because I think the general consensus is that Nunes will just play most of the games up front. Do you guys have an opinion on that? Um, I think it's... It's good news that um, like Klopp stuck with the kind of like four up front, mm. uh, or like last night, uh, despite the fact that Luis Diaz was out, even though Jota and Salah both didn't play, because um, it means that you've got like Nunez, Firmino, Jota, and Salah um, for four spots, and then it's like Harvey Elliott and like Fabio Carvalho are basically the only two that can take minutes out of them, um, out of like any of the four spots. So I think that's like relatively good news for like uh, all four minutes overall. I don't know um, exactly who is like more likely to like drop out. Uh, like, is it that Harvey Elliott plays on the right and then Salah plays up front, and one of Nunes and Firmino drops out? Is it like Carvalho plays on the left and Jota drops out? Like, don't know exactly on like which one of the forwards is likely to get all the minutes, but I think it's like positive for all of the first. Or like overall. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think with him, his numbers are pretty good. Where if we're sort of estimating around the seventy-minute range, anyway, that he's he looks a pretty damn good option at that price, right? His data is still good. Yeah. Yeah. And if and if you're looking like rather than looking for twelve, uh, if you're looking like after twelve, kind of like your Jesus Osaka question, mm-hmm. I guess you'll get you'll get a bit of information probably from the West Ham game uh, in twelve. Um, even if City might not give you much of like. Uh, representative like what Liverpool are going to be like yeah and by information I guess you mean expected minutes rather than the performance in that individual game right yeah yeah exactly cool Albert you looking to get in someone like Darwin Nunes he, he still he scares me but he no yeah me. him or Yorta, I've not thought about it too much yet but him or Yota could definitely be great value yeah I'm a big fan of Yota Yota's done it before so should do it again absolutely and he was the talk of the town at the beginning of the season it's funny to think that we're what 10, 11 game yeah. weeks in now and I don't think many people will have bought him aside from the week that he actually got the headbutt I think he was quite popular that week but outside that is not really the reason to buy I remember people fanboying over Darwin around game week 2 or 3 and then he got that red card mm. brutal so, <laughs> yeah. uh, I generally have good memories of Potter in FPL like he's just always had great numbers and been pretty cheap yeah I agree Just I wish he was a midfielder well maybe I don't because we've got a lot of midfielders but I think his, yeah, num- his numbers yeah. since he joined Liverpool have just been incredible anyway. I think full stop. He's always the minutes with him. Um, 
the last question I'm going to ask you guys because it's been quite a while is uh, is a popular one and one that I'm probably going to have to do this week is if you were forced to buy a defender this week which one would you look to buy now I understand a lot of this has an impact where Reese James is involved it, it looks like the news at the moment is that he might be back for Manchester United it looks like he's going to miss this game maybe play Brentford um, so do you think benching him is a good option first of all so I'll ask that do you think that if, if he was to come back after two weeks is it worth it to just keep him and play the rest of your team Albert uh, I'm not looked at it properly but benching for two weeks would be, would be harder to stomach for me I could I could say benching for one week if you've got a good enough squad and there's nothing else you need to do with but benching for two is a bit like there's better things you could do but not check the numbers yet so yeah Simon, anything? have you got James? I'm assuming you've got James. Uh, yeah, I do have James. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tricky. I mean, I've got, okay, coming out of last game week, I've got Trent, James, and Luca Dean. So, <laughs> so uh, like two or three defenders then. <laughs> so, I need to make a defender transfer this week. Um, in fact, I have already made a defender transfer this week. I've done Trent Dunk already. Um, I think. In terms of the benching, I think it really depends on your squad. Uh, like, how are you looking for 12? I think the thing about benching him for two weeks is that 12 was a blank. And most yeah. people wanted to use their, like, benches just to, like, ride out City and Arsenal anyway. Yeah, not ideally yeah. timed these injuries, are they? So, in that sense, you can't really bench James in 12 because uh, you just end up, like, playing with 10. Um, so, in that instance, I'd be like, yeah, it's probably worth spending a transfer uh, rather than playing with 10. Um in terms of like who to buy, again, it depends on like which weeks you need them for. Like, do you need someone for every week? Um, do you need someone like just to fill in like rotation gaps? Uh, so like, I bought in Dunk. He'll play this week. And he'll play in twelve, uh, but I probably won't need him too much on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need someone this week in particular, like Wolves got a really nice fixture playing Forest. Um, the defense is like fine. Their attack is complete trash there, um, and they got some like all right fixtures again. Like can rotate. But I'd look at like which weeks you're going to need them for, uh, and then look at like which teams have good fixtures in those weeks, um, and have a look at the defensive ratings as well. Just kind of like put it together. Yeah, I think if we sell James, I'm terrified of not owning James whenever I don't have him um, personally. But I think with the selling thing, if he comes back um, for the Man United game, which is game week 13, I think it is anyway. Pretty sure. I'll look at my own thing. His um, his fixtures after that, I would say are slightly questionable for clean sheets so I don't know whether it's because for me it's like do I want to spend two transfers on it because I like I say I really want him back I probably think we could get away with it maybe getting to 16 and not having him I don't know if you've looked at the games in detail but that's that's the way I'm trying to justify to it to myself that I can sell James <laughs> yeah I don't think that's a bad shout I think there's like a good case for an Arsenal defender probably on the other side of 12 yeah um, with the fixtures uh, but yeah, I, I think there's like a case for like not bringing James back if you do sell him, uh, for sure. Probably like especially if you're going to be trying to get City and Arsenal in after after the blank. Makes me feel bad. Yeah. Al- Albert, if you had to pick a defender, yeah, which I'm one would you get? Now I'm probably Dunk. Just top of my head. Yeah, I mean that's he's, he's the one who's on the thumbnail. He's the one Simon's got, and he's the one yeah. I'm probably going to buy this week. Um, doesn't sound massively inspiring to me, but I guess that home to Nottingham Forest game is just the game where you just really want to bank on the, the clean sheet points there, right? Anything else would, would be a lovely bonus, but 
I think that's the general appeal. I'm going to throw one other name at you. Well, maybe kind of two. The Spurs defence, like Doherty, Dyer. They've obviously got the home to Everton game this week. And I think Simon touched on it a little bit earlier in the pod when he was saying how much you value the next week rather than sort of two or three weeks down the line. Because instinctively bringing Duncan for away to Brentford doesn't feel as good as bringing in a Spurs player home to Everton. I would expect more points from that person. And because that's happening this week, you know, I could get an injury. My player could get injured the next week and change everything. How much weight should I put on that? So that does appeal to me to do that and go for someone like that. But um, yeah, I just comparatively then, Duncan Dyer, is, is there a particular reason why you haven't gone a Spurs defender over them? I think price is a big one. Like Dyer's half a mil more expensive. Um, and then I think Brighton's fixture in 12 is really nice. Mm. Uh, and it's obviously only one, uh, like one week down the line. Um, and then, I don't know, I think like someone like Perisic like, could be interesting, but the minutes would really scare me. Yeah, uh, I, I have him in my team and it's frustrating his, um, his appearances and minutes. And then, yeah, like similar with Sessegnon, like it looks like he's maybe like higher in the hierarchy. Then he's just played like two nineties in a row, and like Perisic is sitting there. So like Perisic like ruins it for both him and Sessegnon, I think. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean Perisic looks great this week. I think I think there's probably a good chance he's played when we don't know for sure. But I think in the scenario where he comes off early, it's likely to be more more chance he's actually got the clean sheet if that's the case. As long as it's not the fifty seventh minute, because that has happened as well. I suppose you have to throw that in. Um, but yeah, it, it does feel like a, a, a Perisic game where he could get a decent score in. But I think it's just beyond that. Again, you're just going to be in that situation of worrying again every week, aren't you? And he does seem to be slightly behind Sessegnon. So you're sort of almost buying yourself a problem again. I don't know whether I can do that to myself. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be skipping it. Yeah, yeah. I'm te- I am tempted by Doherty. It might not always be easy optimal, but optimising to minimise headaches is also like, you know, a decent way to go. Yeah, agrees. And I mean, you can easily get yourself... Your team can be fine one week and then two or three weeks later, you, you're just decimated by all sorts of stuff that's happened, right? So the squad strength is, yeah. is a very underrated part of it, I suppose. You know, we always want to put all our money on 11 and pick a, a threadbare bench. And it's it's helped that we have got players that are cheap this year that can fill in that role. But at the same time, if you haven't got viable options or there are options that are likely to drop, you soon, you soon start uh, losing that EV through the fact that you're having to use transfers in that area all the time. I mean, sometimes it's out of your out of your hands, I suppose, when you've got three injuries like Simon has at the back. There's not too much you can do about that. But yeah, squad building is an underestimated part of it, I think. And I see a lot of guys like uh, Wee Rogue and Kiwi and stuff, they often have really strong squads across the across the board from what I've looked. So there's, there's, you know, there's something in it. Yeah, for sure. I, I like... The main benefit, like you, like you mentioned, is just being able to use your transfers on the high-value mm. um, options. Like, if you have like decent playing players that like aren't that far behind, uh, like what your first-team options would have been, like you get a suspension, you get like a small knock of an injury or whatever, you can just ride it out. That's it. Doherty, Doherty for two weeks. I feel like he's probably going to play just simply because Emerson Royals banned. But then again, we're in a similar situation where when he comes back, I expect he just takes back over him. So maybe if you can do it and bury him on your bench, maybe. But then we're in that situation I've just said where you know one or one other injury in your team or something that doesn't go right and you're back there again. But I can't lie that I'm not tempted um, by it. You probably have to talk me out of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think... I think I'd use Albert's phrase of "you're just buying yourself a problem." Um, <laughs> yeah. No, not not for me. I think. I mean, like, yeah, you could, could do well in the next two weeks. Um, well, wait till Monday night is not I great, is it? 
It's not bad, yeah. really. I do kind of like Dyer as a pick, and it kind of like sometimes I do feel like I go like for the, the same X Men's pick, and Dyer is obviously one of those. And I had him earlier in the season, and he got a goal for me, so you know, got a place in my heart. At least in Dyer's case, I know you can't bank on the on scoring from set pieces, but I think if anyone's ever watched the games, you can see that they're that, well. First of all, their set pieces seem to be of high standard. You know, Perisic's crossing seems to be very good, and Dyer is clearly a target from their set pieces. Um, he always runs oh, to the near yeah. post, from what I've seen. So it's not out of this world that you'll get one. Um, so it, can, when I'm talking goal threat between him and Doherty, I suppose in our minds we think of Doherty at Wolves or in his you know small cameo for Spurs, or he's right in the box and he's banging goals for fun. But in reality, I've not really seen that much recently for him so you know is his goal threat that much better than Dyer's I mean yeah. I'd have to look at the numbers but it's probably not enough to take the risk I would say yeah 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 I I think the the kind of injury suspension and like hierarchy stuff at Spurs is all a bit messy mm. I mean there's like to, to really put the like um like nail in the coffin for Doherty there's also like a reasonable chance Persich just plays on the right yeah Sessegnon plays on the left. Um, Lucas and then Moore you have back from injury. Yeah, and then like because because you're betting like so much on two weeks, I'd want to be like really convinced that the value's there for those two weeks, yeah. if, especially if you're gonna like try and bury him for four. I'm not sure I'm convinced. Well, Conte comes up Conte comes up with some other ingenious solution to his win back problems. Yeah, it could be. I mean I don't think Conte... I mean, aside from switch from the two up front or the three up front, I'm not sure he's changed too much in the past few years. Yeah, I'd have to look into it, but still... Yeah, he just does have this sometimes. history of trying to... Like, yeah, he just has a history of trying to play anyone at wing-back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. Uh, yeah, just see what the models say, Luke. That's always the easy answer. But it wouldn't be good content, would it, if I just came in and said, see what the models say? Uh, well, I suppose uh, it would be uh, for some people. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think it's um, like Spurs is kind of an interesting one of like how you use the models, right? Because like so much of it depends on like who you think is going to play, uh, and like that's that's the hardest thing for like um, like models to get right. And so like, and this is one of the kind of situations where like uh, it's worth like focusing your attention on like working out what you actually believe mm. uh, before you kind of like uh, just take like the default minutes as as given. If there was a world that exists where managers, and I mean, I suppose that it's never going to work anyway because of injuries and stuff, had to upload their, say, first 11, hypothetically, for the next four weeks, and we could take that data direct and put it into a model, do you think that would make a significant impact? Do you think it would make a huge impact on the projections and, and the accuracy and how good it is? I mean, it's probably a stupid question, but... Oh, yeah, there'd be no point playing FBR. <laughs> yeah. You think, you think it'd be as simple yeah. as that. It would be that whole, well, we're not going to have different teams. We're just going to pick exactly what the model's telling us. Yeah, I think like most of the scores in minutes. Yeah, I guess the trouble is, though, I'm not you know better than me, Luke. But Pepe always seems to try and adapt it for each game. So I don't know. They just say like this is the ideal team for the next four games, and then just you know, end up changing it anyway. Yeah, it's never going to work in reality, is it? It's just it's exactly. never going to happen. But it, 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 yeah. it's nice to envisage. Yeah, that sort of intel on X Men would be really useful. It certainly would. And I'm sure there's people out there that probably, I mean, there are people that will, will have that access. Not that they're the kind of people that will be releasing it, I might add, but obviously people in uh, yeah. in Pep Guardiola's backroom staff or whatever will, will, will know presumably on the day and, and at lots of other places across the country. So um, if only they played FPL, right? Maybe some of them do. Maybe people like Fabio Borges and stuff who have just such great success are just closet <laughs> like coaches for, 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 yeah. for like Pep or something. It would be incredible to find out. But yeah. It is interesting seeing. It is interesting seeing the transfers that 
Premier League players make for their FPL teams. Definitely, because you, you, you an indication. You you never know whether they're just really bad at FPL or whether they're actually using viable information, though, right? That's the yeah. other part. I think in general you can assume they're probably not that good. I don't. I doubt they've got much time to focus on it. Well, maybe they do. They finish training at like midday, some of them. Yeah, I think it varies quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, but, go, uh, that, go on. Inside information is how you make your Man City predictions, isn't it, Luke? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just fed the team. Yeah, yeah definitely. I wish. Um, right. Okay. Thanks, guys. That's been uh, that's been great. I think we can end it there. Unless you guys have got anything else you want to touch on at all before you go. Uh, not, for me. not really. Thanks for having me on, Luke. And then my book's coming out on the twenty fourth October. So just shoot any questions if you've got them. Absolutely. Give these guys a follow on Twitter. They produce um, loads of useful information, as you've seen there. The, the team ratings. Albert's got his model in his book that that looks really interesting as well. Um, also, if you could drop likes and subs on uh, on the old video, that would be very helpful to us um, as we continue to try and grow. I appreciate you guys joining me, and um, I shall see you on the next one. And I'm sure these guys will be on um, at some point in the future again when I when I need them to step in. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thanks.